In my opinion, this is the most important lesson of influence warfare and is the most important and helpful or useful phenomenon for every influence warfare operator, commander, and scholar with whom I've spoken over the past couple decades. This is important whether you focus on subversion, sabotage, and subterfuge, or focus on truth, trust, and transparency. This is about a phenomenon that is more powerful than our conscious mind, our rational choices, and even our deepest limbic system impulses, which with training can be somewhat controlled. This is the subconscious. This is the approximate target of most influence warfare campaigns. If we don't begin planning on how to target the subconscious, whether our goal is to change behavior or see to the continuation of behavior of a people or of a government, then our strategy is dead on arrival. It is the starting point, the guiding thread through every part of an influence strategy, and it helps define the end game. Specifically, our subconscious has warring foundational narratives that exert outweighed influence on all our thoughts, all our beliefs, all our decisions deeply held biases that color every aspect of our worldview. Some of you have already heard me discuss foundational narratives at conferences or in seminar. And in this lesson, we will go further and look to more case studies. In summary, foundational narratives help us with three topics. One, it describes influence warfare at its most extreme, strengthening your civilization and collapsing that of an adversary. Two, Foundational narratives are the hook and pivot point for many influence campaigns. Most influence campaigns exploit already existing trends and ideas, and at the heart of this is the foundational narratives of the subconscious. Three, foundational narratives are one lens through which to analyze intentions, motives, and goals of adversaries, competitors, and, and allies. It is, importantly, though, not a theory of everything. Two decades ago, new MRI technology allowed neurobiologists to conduct hundreds of repeated and repeatable studies on six continents, playing up the importance of the subconscious. Any influence, strategy, or security literature that does not at least attempt to wrestle with these studies, that suggests anywhere from 60 to 95% of our realities determined by our subconscious, may be flawed. In fact, through the lens of foundational narratives, influence warfare may have been one of the foundations of civilization. At its core, its leaders convincing people to follow them and not to follow others. It was just never enough to be the strongest person in a clan. It was a never enough to be the quickest shot in a gang. It was the person that developed the best foundational narratives, those sacred values, imagined communities, and national mythologies. It certainly predates armies and states that is influence warfare, and it remains a central imperative for power. There's a number of studies in business and social sciences, such as archaeology and paleoanthropology, as well as neuroscience, that suggest we can only know and directly lead and deeply trust about 150 people at any given point in time. There's no biological mechanism for us to directly manage more people. And our brains have not evolved to bond with be, uh, numbers beyond 150. But then something interesting happened about 70,000 years ago, 68,000 BC, 
which many paleoanthropologists will call the cognitive revolution, and many historians call the dawn of human history. And this is not the ability to tell stories, which we already had, and our cousin species already had. This is the ability to communicate abstract stories, stories about things that don't exist in nature. And this came long after tools and weapons and medicine, early language, and controlled use of fire. These foundational narratives, they allowed people to unite beyond the clan, and they allowed clans to be more united. So strangers could bind together in what we call today social contracts. And this is where we get statecraft, warfare, defense, and even strategy. The subconscious, the way it works and how complex it is, it helps to generate the entirety of what we might consider our culture, our history, and our civilizations. These foundational narratives, they fueled psychological orders. They allowed many people to believe in intangible ideas like nation and state, money, currency, law, order, history, even equality. It allowed the first civilizations and eventually allows for the post-Westphalian state system which exists in some or most of the world. But at its extreme, influence warfare is relatively unchanged. It's still leaders, in this case governments, strengthening their own foundational narratives while trying to weaken those of an adversary. So in short, before 68,000 BC, we needed to directly know one another, to trust each other in order to work within the confines of a clan. Then we had this cognitive revolution allowing us to tell abstract stories, which became eventually foundational narratives, and these foundational narratives allowed leaders to unite and lead, sometimes now in the tens of millions. Once you've created foundational narratives and the social constructs that sit atop these foundational narratives, that stand on the shoulder of foundational narratives, we then have to defend these foundational narratives. As Henry Kissinger says, when you are under physical attack, you also have to defend the basic assumptions behind your foundational narratives, behind your values and your morals. And as Hariri says, Foundational narratives are inherently fragile because they will collapse once people simply stop believing in them. And this is why we see leaders all over the world going out of their way to proactively protect and build those foundational narratives. With weak foundational narratives, we find that people may abandon their positions, literal and figurative, literally and figuratively, once the threat of force is gone. And there were some reports, for example, uh, that many uh, GDR Stasi employees and agents simply walked off their posts at, once the wall uh, went down in Germany, well before the dissolution of that service and that government. Jill Lepore, in her book, These Truths, speaks about how nation-states, how they, once they emerged, that much focus for strategic leaders was on tying together these ribbons of myths, trying to strengthen those weak spots of any foundational narrative. So, 
foundational narratives, as I said, they're inherently fragile. And as I said, as a way of summary, uh, strategic leaders then have to strengthen those foundational narratives. And they do so through what we call today culture, education, ritual, rights, and laws. When successful, your citizenry and your soldiery will internalize foundational narratives to the point where they will reject or become physically repulsed by intellectual attacks against your foundational narratives. We find that a brain acts in a similar way to an intellectual attack against your core principles, against your core worldview and foundational narratives as it does to a physical attack. When successful, foundational narratives will affect the neural architecture of the brains of your citizens. Foundational narratives shape how we see and how we sense the world. Now the brain of course receives signals. Uh, we have a number of senses, not just the five senses. We have a sense of balance, a sense of hot and cold, and there are others. We don't receive these signals in a vacuum. Instead the brain is constantly actively and predictably generating guesses to make sense of the world to get you through your day and to provide meaning in your life. And these guesses are often predicated on foundational understandings of the world based off of foundational narratives. Our minds actively generate the world. And as one neurobiologist says, even our most reasonable thoughts and actions mainly result from automatic unconscious processes. This is the foundational narratives that um, are at the heart of our subconscious and what defines how we see and view the world. Foundational narratives can be so strong that they may seem visceral, instinctive, and even obvious, independent of new information. Oftentimes scholars compare it to gravity. And we find that foundational narratives, they can be undone and they can be unlearned, but it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of will on the person that wants to change. An example is the Exit Sweden and the Exit Norway programs where you have white supremacist violent extremists and terrorists in prison that want to change. And the studies coming out of these programs suggest that it takes years. It takes entire communities. It takes health workers. It takes people, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and perhaps even neuro, uh, neurologists in some cases. Um, it takes uh, people that understand job training. It takes you know, whole families and communities to um, constantly provide support when the person is then reintegrated in society. But the most important thing these studies suggest is it's the will of the person that really wants to change. But even if the person really wants to change, there are years of hard work ahead for him to, if you will, de-radicalize or at least demobilize. Thank you.